This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you for, for taking the time to do this. Um, your series is riveting. It is so timely. Um, many of us around the country have become junkies uh, to news, but what you gave us was, is far beyond news. You've empowered us, you've exposed, you've enlightened, and we thank you. So I'm going to get to it right, uh, right into it. Um, a lot of people say that when you're making a documentary that has social impact, you have to start with the issues that you're trying to change. Um, this series, first and foremost, touches uh, so many of us at our core. What was the catalyst that brought you two together to make this series? Um, yeah, I can take that. First of all, thank you to UCSB and the Carsey Wolf Center and Wendy for moderating. We're really happy to be here. Um, just a little bit of backstory of how this came to be. Um, I actually, in 2013, I was working on another uh, PBS series uh, from called Makers, and I was doing the Women in Politics episode. And at that point, I actually met Rashida Tlaib, um, who was then a state a Congress, not, not, sorry, a state representative from Michigan. And, you know, it really struck me to meet her because it was the first time I actually met a politician who I felt, you know, I would want to represent me. She was, you know, really accessible, down to earth. She was the daughter of immigrants like me from the Midwest, like me. She was also, um, you know, mom of young kids and was really rooted in her community. And I sort of remembered her, you know, sort of thought about her and what she stood for um, for many years when in 2016, our other producer, Jyoti Sarda, had approached me about potentially working on something related to women in politics. And this is the year that we thought we might have our first woman president. Um, that didn't happen. But, you know, for all these, you know, as we watch like demographics shift quickly shifting, and I've always made work about uh, communities of color, women, immigrants. It just seemed the time to tell a story about women of color in politics and, you know, sort of using the lens of race and gender to talk about, you know, an American political story. Um, Jyoti is not a filmmaker, so I knew that this would be a really ambitious project and I needed another filmmaking brain on the team with me. And so um, I called Marge and luckily she said yes. And <laughs> it off to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, uh, it, it was like a balm, right? Uh, to receive a call in a time when so many of us were just feeling completely hopeless and you know, like there was no end in sight. We were just sort of at the beginning of this journey, you know, what what would happen. Um, and to come from communities, you know, we all come from communities. I'm from Iran, which, you know, Trump was talking about prior to his election. Um, so it just it just felt like a, a, a for, from a personal perspective, something that would keep me sane, um, but also with a real recognition that... Um, the, the, we, we don't, un, and we should never underestimate the importance of seeing reflections of ourselves yeah. in, in images that are filled with power and um, brilliance uh, on our screens. We don't get to see that enough, certainly in documentary. We don't get to see that enough. And, um, you know, we have a field that has problems of its own with diversity and representation and how stories are told. And so it just seemed like the perfect kind of combo of what the world 
would could do with what was personally kind of healing and also an opportunity for us to kind of push back a little bit against the documentary system um, and show how something ambitious and big and, you know, you know, with a big budget and kind of real scope could be pulled off by a team of women of color so that we can just kill that sort of dead end argument <laughs> that we hear over and over again and move forward. And I, I, I need to, to piggyback on that, which is another question. You know, I'm, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. And so often Georgia is the number one place to do business for motion pictures and TV. And so many times you get the question, well, they're not, or you get the statement, there are not enough women of color. We don't know where to find them. This is a big film. There's a lot of women involved and you guys grab the best of the best. How hard was that to find? It was easy because, you know, we've been in these circles for many years. Um, what, what we did was, because it was such an ambitious project, you know, we wanted diversity both geographically, you know, ethnically, age-wise. You know, we wanted to find candidates who ran the gamut from, you know, Stacey Abrams running for a historic governor's seat in Georgia to Bushra Amiwala, 20-year-old college student running for a local county supervisor seat. So um, we needed help. And so we reached out to, you know, our friends who are all accomplished documentary film directors in this lane, you know, looking at issues of politics, um, social justice, you know, race, community, history, all of these things. And we just asked them if they wanted to, you know, participate. And everybody said, yes, it, it was a no brainer. Um, the bigger job was, uh, you know, putting up, putting it all together. I mean, we, we had field directors who sort of closely matched the communities from which, you know, when it, where we were filming. Of course, Marge and I also, you know, did some we're in the field as well, but you know it was really important for us to, um, you know, tell the stories from gain. It helped us gain access and trust with very quickly with the people that we were filming with, not just candidates but also the organizers that we document. It makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you for answering that question to the those that are out there that don't think there's a lot of women of color that can do this type of. Uh, project we can we did now watch we do. actually if i can just say one more thing wendy it's you know we know these people but we're not the only people who know these people there's tons though like there's just tons there's tons of super talented women men people of color immigrants like undocumented mm -hmm. filmmakers there's just tons of us and we have been organizing in our own communities now for years and when people say things like you can't find women of color who are qualified or I don't know, a black, whatever, it's a reflection of how disconnected they are. Yes. It's not a reflection of a lack of talent in our communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, with that said, you know, we live in a, a culture that will, we use visual images that will power and that means filmmaking can be a force of positive uh, change, but it also comes as uh, a big resp responsibility. So as filmmakers, what weighed the most upon you in making this series? Um. Gosh, I wish we'd had the time as we were making it to sit and have these kind of deep reflections. <laughs> it was really like crazy. It was super hectic to pull off. Um, I mean, we knew we would be able to do justice to the stories. We knew we, we, the, the thinking was right. The team was right. I think what maybe weighed heavily on us is um, 
you know, the chance that the system, the kind of gatekeepers and the, you know, all that would not get it. And, you know, we'd lose the opportunity. And, you know, I think we landed in some kind of midway space. There was a lot of gatekeepers who didn't get it, who said things like, well, who's going to find stories about women of color interesting? Or isn't this just a smaller story in the bigger story about women? Or you guys aren't really qualified to kind of handle this kind of budget or whatever, all that kind of stuff that we spend a lot of time listening to. Um, at the same time, there were some very bold kind of funders, um, private individuals, foundations who got it instantly and, and believed and kind of made it possible. So I think probably what weighed he most heavily on us was to make sure that we delivered something that, you know, was true to what we set out to do that was that authentically represented these women and that we didn't. Um, participate in limiting our own possibility because the system wanted to limit it for us. Oh, yes. I often say that working on this project was akin to working on our own political campaign because right now everyone talks about women of color. We, Joe Biden is his VP pick going to be a black woman, et cetera. But back in 2017, 2018, like nobody was really talking about it. We now see in hindsight that everybody we filmed with are now these historic characters, you know, in Congress or, you know, even Stacey Abrams, who did not win her race because it was stolen. Um, you know, she is a force, right? And I think, you know, for us at the time, you know, it's convincing people, you know, why is this a story? Why, why should we look at American politics through a lens of race and gender? Why don't we just look at it through gender, right? This was something that we unequivocally you know, stuck a st stuck a stake in the ground and said, this is important. You can't talk about politics in this moment without looking at both and many other elements as well. Um, and then even just the, you know, looking at the organizers, right? We, we didn't want to make an election or a campaign film because we knew that that would be limiting in terms of time. It would be, you know, it would not, no longer be topical after 2018 election. Um, and so it was important to see this as a historic mov movement moving forward and you know it's playing out in 2020 it's gonna resonate in 2024 2022 2024 so we wanted to get in on the beginning of not it's not even the beginning it's just this this moment that happened in 2018. so even when you found your story making um i know making films uh, complex issues that resonate with people often um, reveal a challenge. And in 2018, there were so many women of color around the nations running for political offices on the local, state, and federal levels. How did you choose your characters? Um, so we started with a pretty robust research process. Um, you know, there, there, there were, it ended up, there were many, many women running, but unfortunately there isn't like some handy list that you can Google, which just lists them out for you and <laughs> makes it easy. So, um, so instead, what we decide, we, we thought about what's important to us to have and use that as a filter mechanism. So part of that is what Grace was saying. It's, um, you know, we really wanted geographic, ethnic diversity, big seats, large seats and small. Um, uh, uh, we wanted women who were not kind of, um, they didn't wake up the day after Trump was elected and decide, I'm going to get in politics. These are women who have been organizing and power building in community for their whole lives and that the evolution of power is to step into governance. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so those were, I mean, some of them, you know, we knew, I mean, Stacy was like a no brainer, right? That we, that was such a historic race, you know, that was a no brainer. 
Right. But then also like Busher became a no-brainer the minute we met her because she's so dynamic. And I kept thinking about what was I doing when I was 19 years old? I was not, not in any way, shape or form prepared to do any of this, you know? And it was, she was just so impressive. She, she challenged every stereotype that people have, you know, uh, about young people, about Muslim girls, all of that, you know? And so they kind of self-identified um, you know, the, the ones who wanted, it's usually like this with documentary. Some are like, Oh no, I don't want to have any, anything to do with the camera. And some people step forward because they, they understand, um, that the story has longevity. It's not just that moment. It carries, you know, it ripples through for decades, you know? So yeah. Anything else, Grace, that we missed? Rashida, we knew cause you had already had the yeah. relationship with her and she was so powerful. Right. Yeah, I think, um, nope, nothing, nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this series feels very personal, um, which makes it feel a whole lot more compelling. It's very, the, the voices are all very authentic. Um, and sometimes you don't want to be in messaging and storytelling. You don't want to be always so on the nose. It, it, it never felt like it was preaching. Um, as directors, what did you have to do to make sure your vision came across without losing people? Grace? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think this film, this series is really personal. You know, I mean, we talk about the new American majority. We talk about changing demographics. You know, we look, we talk about looking at politics, women of color in a way that's not just black and white. And, you know, as someone who has grown up in this, born and raised in the Midwest as an Asian American, it was important for me to see immigrants and Asians, you know, in, um, you know, in this story. I mean, it's an inclusive story that was, that's deeply personal to me, right? And also just um, that feeling that I had, you know, 2013 when I first met Rashida Tlaib as a state representative, I wanted to replicate that feeling because I think that is something I never, I never imagined that there would be a politician who I actually would like, you know, <laughs> or someone who I actually thought, oh, like, that's interesting. Like, that actually sort of switches on another idea of like what what politics can be what becoming civically engaged can be and all of these women had that and i think that's you know when we talk back to researching and casting that that was also something you know that was really we knew that they would you know they were all very um authentic to who they were you know able to just be who they were like there's a moment in the film you see maria elena durazo now state senator from Los Angeles, you know, somebody says, oh, there's a hot mic, there's a hot mic. She's like, I don't care. Like, I, I, say, I want mic on or off, right? <laughs> like, I think that's, you know, these people are um, regular people. And I think that's one of the things that comes across. And I think that's always an appeal to me and the kinds of films I make and March as well. Yeah, I think also, Wendy, it comes back to the thing you asked earlier, which is that it, it matters who tells the stories, right? Every one of us, the storytellers live an experience of feeling like an outsider, feeling like we're swimming against a, you know, a stream. Um, we've all been in rooms where we've been, you know, the only one, or we've had to speak out when someone says something and correct, you know, so, so we understand the experiences that these women have because these are our experiences too. Right. And so that's why when we talk in this field or we talk in general about narrative power, this is why it matters because and it, it's the same story told by someone who's inside versus someone who's outside reflects completely differently in the final version. 
Definitely. So getting this film in front of the right audience at the right time uh, definitely was paramount. With so many elections, so many issues, how hard was it to find the ending to the story uh, when we all know that the fight for women to be represented in positions of power seems never ending? Well, we thought the story would end like, you know, we were in this intense production stage for all of 2018. And we thought on November 6th or whatever it was, we're going to yeah, sleep on November the 7th. We're in Georgia. And then it wasn't done. It just like kept going, just the suppression and like trying to, you know, figure out like people getting their voice, their votes counted, their voices counted. And that's not something we envisioned. You know, we knew voter suppression would be a thing, but we didn't realize it would be the thing. And it's the thing now as well. Um, I forgot the beginning of your question, but, um, well, I'll just pick up a bit. So we also yeah. wanted to film in 2019 a little bit as well, because I think that it's one thing to campaign for office and, and win a seat. It's another thing to then become, you know, walk into those halls of power mm -hmm. and have to then, um, be the only person in that space, right. Or one of the handful of people in that space. And what is all the incoming that comes with that? And, you know, because we, it took us a long time to edit. So the news kept unfolding while we were, you know, in the process of editing and to see the way that the squad were kind of targeted, you know, very directly by, by Trump and all this like go home. And then what happened in El Paso and Veronica's district, you know, with the horrible massacre rooted in racism, you know, we just knew that we had to sort of tell these stories because they were the kind of culmination, right? They were the sort of the denouement of the arc of the, that these women had sort of set up. Um, but we also didn't want to leave us all bummed out because those things are really, they're, they're devastating and they happen, you know, they happen a lot. They happen too often. So how did we, ha you know, the end, you know, does have a little moment of hope. I also want to tip our hat uh, to our extraordinary editor, Julie Vitsa. Uh, it's doubtful that we would have found an ending <laughs> without Julie's help. Um, just managing, I think we ended up with four or 500 hours of footage. And so cutting that down and, and, and being able to sort of find the, the you know, complex narrative arc, right? Because it's six people's narrative, seven people's narrative arcs. Um, so Julie was really like, there's no way this would have come to life in the way it did without Julie's help. Um, you mentioned Stacey Abrams' race and, and uh, how that ended. Um, uh, as you know, I was, I was in Atlanta, and I have never felt more deflated in that moment, um, uh, politically outside of 2016, and we hope to write that wrong. Um, in, episode, in episode one, and you guys are in the room. You know what's going on. I know you're keeping track of the numbers. And... Um, at the same time, Lucy McBath was running her, you know, her election as well. You had so many things going on, but nation, Stacey was wa being watched nationally. That was going to be a huge game changer for the nation. Um, personally, I mean, I know you were all were covering it, but personally, can you share what you were feeling at that moment when you knew that, oh God, this is not the end? <laughs> I mean, it was a very weird night, as I recall. I, I feel like my memory has done me the service of like blocking a bunch of it. Well, we were all in different places, right? Because we were following, there was Stacey's story, there was Lucy's story, and we were with NSA and New Georgia Project as well. So we were divided from each other that night. I feel like I maybe went to bed around 4 a.m., something like that, you know, 5 a.m. 
Um, and there was a moment where we kind of all reconnected having been in these bubbles and we're like, what happened on your side? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that we knew that it ended because it was this kind of, it just kept going. Right. Especially in, um, like Lucy's race wasn't decided until two days after either. Right. Because the votes weren't counted. Um, but I do remember, I think the next day it was pouring with rain, as I recall, and we all just like took a beat. And then the next day were our flights. And I remember we were sitting at Rhea's Bluebird having our last shrimp and grits with like, you know, like our whole crew, finally, everyone in one place. And I was just like, wait, we actually can't leave. It would be crazy to leave, right? And I remember just going and sitting, they have a little bench outside and getting on Airbnb. We'd given up our house. Everything was packed in the suitcase in the back of the car, you know, and I just like booked another Airbnb and we stayed, you know, because you know, because it wasn't, it just didn't end. So, I mean, I think it was, for me, the, for me, that moment of like absolute despair was in the Capitol protest, you know, which was some five, six days after. Um, and that was, you know, I'm literally, I literally get goosebumps when I think about being in that space and, you know, what happened there. Um, for those who haven't seen yet, I won't spoil it too much, but, um, you know, there was a, a protest in the People's House a peaceful protest, a, a building in which you have to pass through metal detectors to come into. They're not a risk of any kind. Peacefully, people asking for votes to be counted. And there was a, an assault on these gathered bodies, and it was really aggressive. And anyway, so that for me was like the, the kind of breathtaking moment uh, where it just felt like the system is not going to let this pass, you know? So, Yeah. I think also Rashida's night was also a very big one, right? For you, Grace. Right. I mean, but that ended in a victory. <laughs> that did end in that a victory, but a long night also, deal. right? It was also very long, but yeah. So one of my favorite, um, I thought it was so illuminating. Um, and I know you guys canvassed. Canvasses is, is a lot of hard work for those that um, have never done it. Um, the phone calling, uh, which I actually did as well for on behalf of Stacey Abrams, the entire Democratic slate. But one of the things I loved was you all were in the community and the lady talked, she has, she shares the story of knocking on the door of a, a white family and the woman comes to the door and her looming MAGA husband is, is, is there. And although she let you all know that she voted you know, we're a Republican household. I thought it was very telling for her um, to say, you know, we've, we've looked how she voted in her household to maintain peace. She's maybe Republican to her husband, but in the polls, when she gets behind uh, that and has her opportunity to cast her vote that she had cast a uh, Democrat, that was telling that was so telling. Did you have any other stories like that in, in other places? Uh, I mean, I think the, I mean, that was specifically around Lucy McBath, right? And I think Lucy was such an interesting person, story, mm-hmm. because um, it's very hard for women to mm-hmm. come to terms with the, the normalization of their children being killed you know, by guns, right? And so whatever your kind of family shell looks like, Lucy's ability to 
connect with human beings is kind of extraordinary, right? And she may not be the, the world's most polished and she's much more polished now than she was when she first started running. She's, you know, she's not like a politician, right? She's a mom. Right. Um, but her ability, because she, because she went through the terrible trauma in her family and had to t- tell and retell that story for so many years, her ability to just pierce through all of that. So I feel like this groundswell of women for whom it was like a silent act of rebellion against the vote, you know, the election of Trump, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. To sort of in their own subversive way within, <laughs> within their own homes, just do like, you know what? No, you know? And I think that group of women that, you know, sort of that's what they sort of really represent. And I think it's fascinating. You know, I, I'm, I, I think about the things that I couldn't, couldn't tolerate in, in a marriage. I don't think I could tolerate a, polit- a, a, a political chasm like that in my partner, right? We can make our way through a lot of things, but I just couldn't, like, I don't know how I could live with that. So I tip my hat to those women for being able to sort of keep yeah. their cover in those homes, you know? It, it definitely couldn't fly in my household. <laughs> <laughs> well, your household is, yeah. For sure. <laughs> you know, one, one of the things I loved um, as well, I loved so many things, and we could do this for hours, but unfortunately we're limited. But you guys, you know, you had several stories moving simultaneously, and often journalism, um, news media only provides a snapshot, right, of an issue. And your series lends itself to telling deeper stories about women. Um, were there any B or C storylines that troubled you so much you couldn't look away, filmed it, but had to leave it on the cutting room floor? And if so, can you share them with us? Grace, you want to take that or you want me to... Oh, the question is, did were there stories that we... We you know, loved but left behind. loved and left behind. All right. Um... Well, you know, one of the stories that we did, one of the the candidates that we did do a little bit of filming with was Deb Holland, who was one of the first Native American women um, elected to Congress. And because we started late and also because we had limited access, we didn't have the kind of strong material, as as strong material as we had with the other, other women. And also we only had three and a half hours to tell this entire story. So unfortunately we weren't able to, you know, you have to make some hard decisions sometimes when you're, you're putting the film together or the series together. Um, But we actually are, you know, using some of that footage to make a short film about Deb that we're going to release, you know, that can be used up to the, you know, leading up to November, um, you know, to start the dialogue because, you know, we were talking about a movement of women of color and it was very, you know, it was very painful for us to not be able to include her story. But yeah, that's one of the things that happens to filmmakers all the time. You have to let go of certain things. Right. Um, You know, were there any scenes that you felt um, personally that you were tied to in an edit that you knew it was going to push the audience beyond um, their comfort zone. There were there were many times I cried, but you know personally, were there? What were the scenes for you uh, as directors that say, you know what, this this is going to push this is going to push. It. I mean, first of all, we're a hundred percent in the lane of pushing people out of their comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> we are down with that. That is. We are good with that idea, right? The whole, this whole thing, if we don't push out of our collective comfort zones, we will never achieve 
you know, a different vision, right? And so pushing out of the comfort zone was kind of like in our DNA in this project. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I think about scenes from, I mean, there's so many, right? Like we still choke up, you know, watching, I mean, watching Rashida win, you know, watching her mother come rushing in to wrap her, you know, and to think, I mean, you know, I don't, it's there in the film. Rashida is the eldest of 14 children. I mean, just yes. think about that, right? With a, a mother who doesn't speak fluent English, you know, and to have built from her, her grandmother, who literally was illiterate, came to this country illiterate, mm-hmm. to then her granddaughter to become the first Muslim woman elected to our Congress is extraordinary, right? And so if this isn't, in fact, the very American dream that we all believe in, then, you know, I don't know what is. Um, so I think we all feel that. Like I said earlier, we, we all know what it's like to, you know, just I well up with pride. Well, I'm not a Palestinian woman, but I well up with pride when I yes. see her mother wrap her in the Palestinian flag because there's so much loaded into the sort of exclusion Right. And that, that there's that one moment of kind of thing, you know, bliss. So the, for me, you know, I think that's that's a big emotional wallet in, in the film. Where else do we cry, Grace? We cry a lot. Um, when Bushra uh, loses her election. But, you know, here's this young woman who put everything into it and you know, has so much poise and maturity and like she is powerful, right? And just to see that she can do that at 20 is really, I mean, I'm moved thinking about it right now, you know? Um, and just to see how she motivated like her younger siblings and her family, you know, they're also immigrants. They, what do they know? They they were just sort of following because they're just supporting their daughter, you know? they they They're doing whatever they can to, you know, help her, push forward and do what she needs to do to be her whole self, right? That's just moving. It's just like moving as a family story, like a personal story. Um, and seeing Lucy, with, you know, at Jordan's grave, like the touchstone of going back to Jordan and how Jordan, the loss of Jordan, and a literally unimaginable loss, has ended up shaping such a, a new narrative in her life, right? And I mean, these are really powerful themes, right? They're like big themes of sort of David and Goliath type themes, right? Um, and I he think- He says something like, you know, I, the worst thing possible has ever happened to me. I'm not afraid of anything, right? right. Losing her son. She mm-hmm. can take on anybody, right? So these, these, these are really emotional, really like deeply personal stories that they are willing to put out there. And I think that's why- we're so moved and why we're, we're so engaged with them, you know, trying to. And also this is why they win. This is how they win because they come to us, not as someone up on a stage that is untouchable and unlike us. It's like Grace has said multiple times now, when you feel seen, like you feel like I share a story with you. And that is a revolutionary idea when we, we are redefining, they are redefining what is, what does a politician look like? Yes. Yes. And that's profound. It's like profound, you know? So um, I, I, there's one other thing I just want to bring in. I know we're going to run out of time in a minute, Wendy, so I want to make sure we get to it, which is that the sort of the third, I mean, the other character, right? So we have like candidates, we have organizers, but the other really important character in this story of this moment that's, mm-hmm. and also of our film is the new American majority, right? Like this is, this is why it's this perfect storm 
of, of elements coming together in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the idea of this new American majority, the idea that all of us who have always spent our time feeling like the one or the outsider or the I don't belong, now we are about to be the majority. And if we have, can effectively link arms and understand that while there are differences between your culture and my culture and Grace's culture, there is much more that we collectively share in the fight, right? And that when we add us all together, now we're a really powerful force. And I think that part of our goals is um, with, the, with the project in general, yes, you know, support women of color, the leadership of women of color is important, but also we have power. Right. And democracy is based on this, on the demos, on the people. (laughs) Right. And I think that um, our political system pretend, you know, speaks of democracy. But in fact, as we see over and over and over again, um, it isn't really designed to fully engage you. It doesn't sort of suck you in. It's actually quite a difficult system to penetrate. Right. The language is complicated. The forms are complicated. The process is like not clear. And so it's designed to make us feel like we, we should just give up. And I think that was one of the things, back to aha moments for su- voter suppression for me, is that you could still end up voting at, in the end. But that doesn't mean they didn't make every attempt to make that as difficult as humanly possible oh, for you, yes. right? Like it's a spectrum. The idea of voter suppression is a spectrum. And philosophically as a country, we should ask ourselves, do we want everyone to participate in democracy? And if so, how do we make this as, as easy and clear and accessible as possible? Or do we not actually want everyone to participate? And how do we build a system that makes it very, very difficult and challenging for people? We're about to go into a situation with COVID. It's extraordinary to think about it, right? And we all saw the tweets this morning. I mean, our, the fragility of our democracy that we are literally like it's here right in our hands and we have a few months. Forget what party you vote for. Like, do you believe in the idea of democracy? And so I think for us, that element of people power, like see and understand your real power, right? right. Um, and, and, and learn how to use it. Find a group of people to, to walk with, to be in a political home with. And don't let the system that's designed to silence you actually silence you. Oh, very true. Another big scene, um, and we're going to get ready to take some uh, questions. Were, you know, this morning, um, President Trump went on a, a tear against mail-in voting. Uh, in a pair of tweets, he claimed that mail-in voting was rife and easily targeted for foreign election uh, interference. Um, you know, there there's a scene uh, where I think it's Veronica Escobar, and they go to the the, the wall, um, and they allowed uh, the passage of, of families to be able to hug each other. Did you all knew that? Did you know that was going to happen? Was that? Um, oh wow. Well, what did that feel like? I, I have to, I, I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed and I, I can't imagine what it's like to be torn from your family. Um, uh, but as you all were covering it, did you, were you two, I know you had a lot of people on the ground, but. Yeah, um, we, weren't, we weren't there. That was um, Deb Eskenazi, uh, who's a Latina documentary filmmaker who lives in Texas, uh, who was covering Veronica's story. 
Um, it's an event that happens. I think we went to the fifth, we filmed the fifth ever one. It's becoming increasingly difficult mm -hmm. to organize. Um, and basically, you know, they open the border fence and, um, you know, um, just beyond the fence is the actual border. <laughs> And so the Americans are still on the American side and the Mexicans are still on the Mexican side and they literally hug across this imaginary line, right? Um, three minutes. For three, for three minutes. And then they sound this horn. And the thing is, you have to move along because if you don't, all the other people who are waiting to hug also for three minutes don't get to hug. Imagine what we are doing to families and to, 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 I mean, one of the things that Veronica says over and over again is that these two cities of El Paso and Juarez are sister cities, right? Like there's, you know, they're really one, they call themselves a binational city. It's just an extraordinary, we, it, the, the devaluation of, of human life. Right. It's something that we really have to take a minute and absorb. It's not poli just politics. It's a true dehumanization of human life. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with that? And if we're not, what are we going to do about it? Yes. Well, we're going to take, there are some questions out there. Um, one question, why did you feel it was so important to focus on, uh, to focus not just individual candidates, but rather on the larger organizational networks around them? And was there any story about the value of community organizations that emerged during production that you found especially telling or illuminating? Grace, you want to take that? Um, I mean, I, I alluded to it before, you know, we didn't want to make an election or a campaign film. You know, plenty of people have done that in the past. We really wanted to look at this movement. And the movement is not just candidates who are at the top of the ticket or looking, you know, the face of the of, on the ballot. Um, it's really the people who are the hidden labor, you know, the hidden figures of uh, these campaigns, um, community organizers, people who are, you know, your neighbors who are helping you to get out to vote. I mean, I think that's where the, you know, the participation part of democracy comes into play. And we really wanted to show that because, you know, somebody like Enze Ufat from the New Georgia Project, I mean, she is a force of nature as well, like trying to, you know, they are um, registering hundreds of thousands of voters who just have felt disengaged and not reflected in the system. And that is a huge, you know, that is a huge effort that we wanted to also shine a light on. Um, what else? Uh, I was just thinking of, of I mean, one of the, the things that always makes me sort of really profoundly moved is Tanya from Nihente. Oh, yeah. You know, when you see undocumented people, it's hot in Georgia, right? <laughs> it's hot. Yes. It's like long days in the heat, knocking doors, door knocking is thankless, tiring work, you know? And to see undocumented people who have lived here their whole lives, essentially, right? Um, fight so hard to make sure that everyone else can vote because they literally can't. They don't get a say. But what they can do is make sure that you get a say, right? And, and for me, that is such a moving, if that isn't like democracy in action, you know, I don't know what is. So that was very illuminating um, from the organizers. But then also like Cam, the, the Vietnamese uh, woman who sort of organizes, and she's not like a professional organizer in the sense that she's not, you know, paid by an organization. It's not her job to do it. But, you know, immigrant communities we understand how to organize with each other that's how we've survived that's how we've like 
grown as communities. So just all of them to, to, to be so committed to this idea is really inspiring, right? And then you yeah. look at them and you're like, well, if, if this is what it looks like to organize, it also demystifies it. You know, I can do that. I can take five friends and go for an afternoon and do that, you know? So, um, yeah, they're just very inspiring. These they are, And they are the engines. There's literally no way to win an election without organizers being there to move the people. And, and we don't understand that clearly enough, I don't think, in American politics. Another question someone had was, did you try to interview any of the opponents of your subject, such as Brian Kemp? Negative. <laughs> no, no, actually, that's true. We did send a couple of press requests to his press office. They didn't get answered. Um, we wanted to center the power of women of color. The story that we were telling wasn't like, a, is he going to win? Is she going to win? I mean, it's part of the narrative arc. But that's not the story. The story is about a lack of reflective leadership that looks like the country and sees the troubles of the country. Um, and, that, and we wanted to center that. We didn't want to, you know, we really wanted to center that. Even in the small exchange, like there's a scene where there's a guy who takes, uh, takes on Stacey about her tax debt that she right. had at the time. And, you know, the focus of that story should not be him the focus of that story should be the like extraordinary political prowess of saying, yeah, I have debt. Mm -hmm. Millions of other Americans, I have debt. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is such a brave thing for her to have done. Yes. And it was so powerful because literally you see all these people who are like, yeah, I'm paying my dad's medical bills too. And I don't know how to make ends meet and something's got to give, you know? This is why they have their power. So we didn't really want to, our job was not to center a story around, you know, um, those voices. We wanted to center the women of color. We did go to Kemp's rally though, and there's a good little scene in there. Yes. Uh, was that in one in Macon? I think it was in Macon. Oh. Yeah. It's amazing what you can catch at these events. <laughs> or, the, or the people you see. Yes. That maybe you, I'm like, I never in a million years. I, <laughs> I saw a vendor, the African-American vendor, mm -hmm. husband and wife couple, black. Yeah, and yeah. Were, you see them everywhere. It they were selling manifests and I, I, I yeah. was like, Are, is this really happening? And, you know. That's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we do have uh, a few more questions. Um, one person says, I'm interested in the way the candidates repeatedly talk about their use of makeup. Can you talk about why this thread was interesting to you? Yeah, that's really, that's a great question. Did a woman ask that question or a man? I'm guessing a woman asked I, that I question. don't know. <laughs> um, Not as to me. I mean, I think this is the thing, right? Like, like a man who runs for office I'm going to generalize for a minute, but a man who runs for office has to have a couple of suits, right? A comb. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially that's it out the door on the way, not worrying about who's taking care of the kids, who's feeding the kids tonight. What, you know, did the homework get done? Did they get to their, you know, dentist appointment? A woman has all these invisible barriers, right? To, to just sort of get to that same place. And whether we like it or not, the women are judged based on their appearances all the time in our culture, right? And so there's a moment where Bushra 
is criticized by a man who, who tells, I mean, tells this young girl, yeah. don't wear so much lipstick next time. Right. And worse, she internalizes it and wears less lipstick, right? Um, and then on the other hand, you've got Maria Elena, who's like, I always put on my lippy sticky. I mean, now Grace and I, when we're doing an event, we're like, don't forget your lippy sticky, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, you've got to acknowledge there are these realities about, about being a woman, you know? And so I don't think we really sort of wanted to focus on it in some kind of central way, but it is a real thing. You've got to get your hair done. You've got to, you know, and, and if you don't, you just get attacked for that and nobody's listening to your ideas anymore, you know? And I think that's another thing we need to question. Are we okay with that? Right. I mean, I would just say too, Bushra's really into makeup. I mean, that's, that's true. <laughs> she, she likes putting on makeup and she, you know, she's into it, right? She looks at YouTube tutorials and stuff. We didn't make that into a thing. Um, yeah, that's, she's a young woman who cares about it. So, I have to ask this question because I did canvas a lot and there was, you know, in, for those of you that don't know, Atlanta is a, a blue city inside of a really red state. Were there ever any times that uh, you or your crew felt threatened while you were following um, someone? I had an incident personally in, I think it's Jenkinsville, uh, Georgia, somewhere in between Macon and Atlanta, where these guys start firing off guns mm. while we were canvassing, knock on doors, and don't have to tell me twice. I know how to get out. Uh, did did anyone in your on your crew ever experience anything that they felt was life threatening? Uh, not towards the crew, but they often found, were filming while that happened to a canvasser, right? So this was a very common occurrence, whether it was the Asians, you know, for Abrams, or it was the kids from the Georgia Project, you know, people calling the cops. You don't look like you belong in this neighborhood, uh, you know, harassment, which again, is a form of suppression, right? It's like, you know, that is, you know, giving people information about, you know, an upcoming election is not a crime, <laughs> you know? Um, the Trump rally, we also went and filmed the Trump rally. That didn't make the cut. Um, and I was a bit worried, actually, about sending them. Um, our, our field director, in, uh, who did a lot of the Georgia story, is Yoruba Rich, and she's a very tall, very dark-skinned mm -hmm. African-American woman. Mm -hmm. um, our um, director of photography is a Pakistani immigrant, um, you know, and I was like, should I find some white folk to go, go film the, the Trump rally, you know, but they were determined. They were like super into going and checking it out, you know. Um, so also, not just white people at a Trump rally. I mean, no, that's right. right. They've done right. Not, but not by any measure. Yeah. What is, what is your plans for the film? Um, beyond PBS and how can other organizations engage with you to continue to, to spread the message? Sure. So it's a streaming for free until the end of August, which is one of the fantastic things about public television so that you can find that on andshekoubenext.com. You can find it on your PBS app on your smart TV um, or on the PBS website. Um, it is also currently available for purchase at Amazon and iTunes. Um, and maybe like Comcast, some, a couple of the digital providers. Um, uh, we, we sort of put a lot of energy into the lead up to the broadcast and making a lot of noise. We're now really pivoting into the impact piece of our work. Mm -hmm. um, we want to make really sure 
that people from the new American majority are able to go vote and understand how important it is, right? And I think when, I mean, you, you know, we're here in the, under the auspices of a college, it's unclear what's happening with, you, you know, kids who are in university. It's unclear if they're going physically back, if they're not going physically back, are they registered there? Are they registered back at home? Do they need to re-register? What does that look like? Like these are the, the myriad ways in which, you know, I think, I think when we think about voter suppression, we sometimes think about it as like, one, you know, like, let's just take this whole, you know, elections poll site out and chuck it in a ditch, right? But it's not. It's an entire system of very small, knock off a couple of hundred here, knock off a couple of thousand there. So um, we, that's the work we're doing now is to engage with organizations, engage with the sort of target audiences, the ones who will feel seen and don't engage, right? And to try to sort of push that um, sector to engage, right? And again, it doesn't matter which way you're going to go vote. You get to go vote whichever way you do. That is also protected. Um, but it is important that you participate, you know. So um, what else are we doing, Grace? There's, uh, it's possible to book it for community screenings. There's a shorter sample of the front. We're going to provide educational tools for conversation, dialogue, um, follow us on social media at and she could be next on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook. Um, we're you know we're going to start rolling out more tools and things like that. But you you can already access that now if you go to the website. And there's a, actually a bunch of great conversations that we've had, and not just us, but um, a lot of really powerful women um, that are all housed on our Facebook page and our YouTube page as well. We, we, we thank you so much uh, on behalf of Carsey uh, Wolf Center and all of us at, uh, at University of California, Santa Barbara. We thank you for taking the time. We know that time is money. There's a lot of things that you could be doing this evening, but you chose to spend it with us. And we're, we're very, very grateful for it. We're very happy to have been yeah. here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.